Our scripture reading today is from Genesis 17. All right, Genesis 17. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell face down, and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abraham. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and will make nations and kings come from you. I will confirm my covenant that is between me and you and your future offspring throughout their generations. It is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. And to you and your future offspring, I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. God also said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you is to be circumcised at eight days old. Every male born in your household or purchased from any foreigner and not your offspring. Whether born in your household or purchased, he must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as a permanent covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, as for your wife, Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell face down. And then he laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a hundred-year-old man? Can Sarah, a ninety-year-old woman, give birth? So Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael were acceptable to you. But God said, No, your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will name him Isaac. I will confirm my covenant with him as a permanent covenant for his future offspring. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will certainly bless him. I will make him fruitful and will multiply him greatly. He will father 12 tribal leaders and I will make him into a great nation. But I will confirm my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this time next year. When he finished talking with him, God withdrew from Abraham. So Abraham took his son Ishmael and those born in his household or purchased every male among the members of Abraham's household and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin on that very day, just as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised and his son Ishmael was 13 years old when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. On that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised and all the men of his household whether born in his household or purchased from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. The word of the Lord. Thanks. 
Good morning, everyone. My name's Eric. I have the joy and honor of being the pastor here at Trinity. Kids, make sure you have this handy. Hopefully you picked it up. This is the kids' bulletin. Non-kids, you can uh, turn in your bulletin to page 7, and soon I will... um, provide you with the outline there if you would like to follow along with the message. This fall, we are in a teaching series on the life of Abraham. It's found in the book of Genesis. The story of Abraham and his relationship with God, as we've been learning, it gives us this practical, real life, living answer to the question, what is genuine faith? What is growing faith? What does persevering faith look like? What does it look like to live by faith? Abraham's story is the living example and answer to those questions. In this chapter that we just read together, two main things are happening at this point in Abraham's story. One God is expanding, God is enlarging the promises he's made to Abraham. If you look here, he's saying things like, you will be extremely fruitful, you will multiply, nations and kings will come from you. This is a permanent, this is an everlasting covenant for you and for all of your offspring after you. This is beyond anything God has ever said to Abraham up until this point. That's one. The second thing that's happening here in this passage is everything about Abraham's situation and life makes it almost impossible for Abraham to continue to have faith in any of it, any of what God says. As We learn at the beginning of this chapter, he is 99 years old. His wife, Sarah, is past, well past, childbearing age. And so he hears what God says, and he wonders, how is this possible? I'm having a very, very hard time believing it. So this morning, I'd like to ask you, have you ever felt like that? God, this is who you say you are, what you say you will do, but then I look at me, and I look at my situation, and I look at my life, and it seems impossible that these two things can come together. Two weeks ago, when we looked at chapter 15, we called this a gap. The gap between promise and reality. Now God, by expanding the promises, makes it even a bigger gap. It's like a chasm or a Grand Canyon. I'd like to show you a picture, kids. Can you tell me if you've ever seen this? Who's ever seen that? Some kids have seen it. You've ordered a package online, right? This is amazing, isn't it? We order something and we know exactly where it is at all times. If it's been shipped, what city it's in, what time it was there, and when it's coming to our house. 
Tuesday, December 2nd by 3 p.m. Yes, that is nice. It's coming. Wouldn't it be great if God did this? When we wonder, where are you, God? Where are your promises? And God says, it's coming. It's in Kentucky. (laughs) The help, the answer, the understanding, the clarity that you are longing for, it's coming. Well, God doesn't do that. So how do we find assurance when our faith is wavering, weakening, and diminishing? This passage tells us how we can find assurance of faith. And it's even better than that. This chapter is all about how God provided assurance of faith to Abraham at this crucial moment when he really, really needed it. And maybe for you, that's where you are today. You need it. You feel like you're wavering as Darian opened the passage from Psalm 94. Maybe you feel like your feet are slipping, as the psalmist often says. I feel like my feet are slipping, and you need assurance. Maybe you're here today, and you don't yet have faith in Jesus. You are interested. You're thinking about it. And maybe you say, as I've heard many people say, I wish I could have faith like you do or like this person does, but I can't. This passage can show you where to look for the assurance that you seek. I'd like to look at this passage under three headings, and here they are for the outline. One is our need for assurance. Next, we'll look at God's reasons for assurance that he gives. And thirdly, we'll close by looking at God's gift for when the reasons don't seem to work. Our need, God's reasons and God's gift for when the reasons don't seem to work. First, Our need for assurance. The first thing I'd like you to notice about this passage and what it teaches us is this. We need assurance, and God knows we need assurance. Look at the second phrase of verse 1. Abraham was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to him. Why did the Lord appear to him? (laughs) This whole passage tells us why. God appears to Abraham to assure him to specifically address the places where his faith is wavering, where he's struggling with doubt and his lack of certainty about God and about all of it. And he does this without Abraham even asking him to do this. As far as we know, many times in Abraham's life, God appears, he sends a vision, he sends his word when Abraham most needs it. In chapter 12, He appeared to Abraham. In chapter 15, he appeared to Abraham, and Abraham's faith was strengthened. But time has passed between those experiences, specifically 13 years between chapter 15 and 17, and Abraham needed assurance again. And what I want you to see here is that God was glad to give it to him. Why? He knew he needed it. We aren't told exactly what was going on in Abraham's heart and mind for those 13 years. Last week, we learned about Hagar and Ishmael and how Abraham thought he had to take things into his own hands. We know here, as we read 
this dialogue between Abraham and God, even as God is assuring him, even as God is speaking his word to him, appearing to him, Abraham still is struggling, right? He laughs at God in verse 17. He struggles to believe even the audible voice of God about his wife, Sarah. He's like, well, maybe Ishmael, right? Let's try that. And so the picture here is Abraham not having full certainty, not a person with no doubts. He is wrestling with God. He is struggling to believe what God is saying to him. And in in the very first verse that opens up this chapter, look at verse 1. We can see the reasons why Abraham needed assurance. When Abram was 99 years old. There's a lot packed into that phrase. When Abram was 99 years old. We can see just in that phrase all the reasons why he needed assurance. I'm just going to list some of these on the slide that are all there in this one phrase. One, God's timing is not our timing. 99 is just one away from 100. And I've been working on my math, so I'm pretty confident about that. There's something about getting to triple digits. As far as I know, no one here is 100 or over. <laughs> when you say, it, it, life is about, about, about to end for me here. I'm 100 years old. I'm, I'm a bit scared of having to say in a few years, I'm 50 years old. Like, what does that feel like? And I know some of you are there and have been there. What would it be like to say, I am 100 years old? Not many people get to say that. Abram is saying, God, really, I'm 99. I don't have the offspring you've been talking about and promising. Nations and land and kings, that sounds great, but none of it can happen without this offspring. Why not when I was like 30, 50 maybe, 86? That was just, you know, Genesis 15, Abraham. He must be on the brink of losing faith. And when we've been waiting a long, long time for God to answer a prayer, to heal a wound, or to simply just help us to keep walking by faith, God understands. He appears to Abram here at age 99. saying, I know it's hard to wait. My timing is not your timing. Secondly, related to this, our way makes way more sense to us than God's way. We saw this last week. God, um, I already have a son. Verse 18. His name is Ishmael. Lord, Abram is saying, please bless my plan. Yeah, you talk about a plan that you have and that's fine, but... How about my plan? It seems more realistic. It seems more possible. I already have my son. God says here, I get it. I understand what you're thinking, but no. I know this will be very hard for you to trust and make no sense to you, but it's not going to be your way. It's going to be my way. God understands when we say it's not making sense. And third, and related to these two, God's promises 
seem impossible to us. What we see and feel and experience in our lives doesn't seem to match God's promises. Abraham being 99 and not having a son with his wife, Sarah, that wasn't his choice, right? That wasn't the way he thought life was going to go. God was waiting to do the humanly impossible, to show Abraham and all his descendants after him where his and our faith should be placed, not in what is humanly possible, but only in what God can do. It's so hard to see, God, Abram is saying, how you can take what seems dead and dark and lifeless and nothing and make something. And God says, I know it seems impossible. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm teaching you to trust in me. Here's the point I'm making here with all of this. You see from this, God did not dismiss all these reasons why Abraham needed assurance. He didn't dismiss all these reasons why Abraham's faith was shaky and uncertain. He acknowledged them and he addressed them very personally, very specifically. Clearly here, God acknowledges and validates the fact that as human beings, as limited and as sinful and frail and broken as we are, there are many reasons why we struggle to trust in him to have faith in him. And he does not condemn or scold us for needing assurance of faith. When we say, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. As time goes on, as we struggle and fail and falter, as God seems sometimes silent, the Bible does not teach us that to be a Christian is to have 100% certainty, to have no doubt, and a never wavering faith. Instead, there's a few places in our confession, the Westminster Confession of Faith tells us, faith can be different in degrees. It can be weak or strong. It may often and in many ways be assailed and weakened. This is a reality. Or our assurance can often be shaken, diminished, or intermittent. Westminster 14.3 and 18.4. What this means is, this is a part of what God knows will happen and knows that we'll need. We will need assurance. And he was glad to provide that to Abraham. And always 100% certain faith, a faith that says, I never need assurance. It's not something Abraham had. He's the father of all who believe. It's not something the psalmist had. They often said, where are you, Lord? How long? My feet are slipping. Not something Job had. It's not something the apostle Paul had, who shared at one point how he despaired so deeply of life Itself, he was struggling to hold on. If we think we need 100% faith, all certainty, often that's a sign that we have faith not in the God of the Bible, 
whose timing is not ours, whose ways are not ours, who does the impossible. But instead, we've kind of crafted and created a God of our own making, whose timing, ways, and power always fits what we can make sense of. So we need assurance. We are not meant to have a 100% always certain walk of faith. And God understands that. And God meets us in our uncertainty. But there's more. He doesn't just validate and understand the reasons why we need assurance. God gives us reasons why we can have assurance. And there are two powerful reasons here in this text that God gives Abraham and God gives us. First reason, who God is. Look at the first thing that God says to Abraham there in verse 1. He knows he's struggling. He needs assurance. The first thing he says is, I am God Almighty. What an opening and entrance. The first thing. Not, hello, Abraham. (laughs) How are you doing today? Hello, Abraham. I know you're struggling. What's going on? No, I am God Almighty. God tells Abraham, this is who I am. Before he addresses the doubts and the struggles and the uncertainty, before he repeats his covenant promises, he says, I am God Almighty. In the Hebrew, it's El Shaddai. Maybe you've heard that before. It means all-powerful, omnipotent. And if God is God Almighty, God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, then nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is too hopeless for God. Nothing is too far gone for God. No situation is too big. And he says, let's start there, Abraham. I've been reading a book for a class I'm taking in a little while, uh, in a little, little bit this January, on the human body. It's a fascinating book that says, if you were to take all your DNA out and stretch it out in a line... This, this author said it will go to Pluto. <laughs> it will go billions of miles. That's inside your body. And he said, your body is made up of seven billion, billion, billion atoms. <laughs> That's just you, one of you. God Almighty made you with DNA that can stretch to Pluto. Billions of atoms. If he can do that just in one of us, one of our bodies, nothing is too impossible for him. We can regain assurance by starting with who God is. This is also reflected in the structure of this whole chapter. If you have a little pen or a pencil, you can see the structure. It's very carefully written. This uh, Genesis 17, look with me. It starts in verse 4. You see it says, as for me. And then look at verse 9. It says, as for you, Abram. And then it goes to verse 15, it says, as for your wife, Sarai. And then in verse 20, as for Ishmael. That's the structure of this text. He's addressing all the parts, all the people involved in the promise that Abraham is struggling to believe and to hold on to. One at a time, God goes through it. But he starts with himself. I know you have a lot of, as for me, Abraham, God, I want to talk to you about me. As for Sarai, look at her. As for Ishmael, what about him? But Abram, let's start with, as for me. 
As for me, here is my covenant with you. And God proceeds to say, here is what I will do. Here is what I will do. Here is what I will do. Nine times he says, I will. In verses four through eight. Before we talk about the promises and how and when and who Abraham, let's be clear about the God of the promises, who I am. Romans 4.21 looks back on this and says, how was Abraham strengthened in faith? Romans 4.21 says he was strengthened in his faith. He gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to do. He heard the reason this is who God is. The promise seems unbelievable. But because of who he is, he can do it. And then, for the first of many times in the Bible, God reveals something else about who he is. It's in verse 7 and 8. He says, my covenant, my covenant, my promise is to be your God and the God of your offspring after you. He says, I am God Almighty and I am your God and I will be their God. I am not just a God. He doesn't say I am God. I am a God out there in general, not just I am your God today. I will be your God. In one sense, we have here reason enough to have assurance no matter what happens in our lives. God says, I'm not just your God today. I will be your God. That thing you fear, the thing in the future, all the what ifs, I will be your God then. I will be your God if that happens. And I am God Almighty and I am your God. If we have those two things, I am God Almighty and I will be your God, those two things, we have all we need. That's reason enough for assurance for anything that we might face in our lives. And how did Abraham respond to this? In verse 3, he fell face down. Verse 3, verse 17. Twice it says, Abraham was in the posture of face down, falling before God. It's ironic, but important because uh, God says, walk before me, Abraham. It's translated here, live in my presence. Walk before my face. Literally, live in my presence is walk before my face. And here Abraham begins by falling on his face before God. And that's the place to begin. Remembering who God is and falling on our face before him. But God gives another reason here. Because sometimes we struggle with the assurance of our faith because we're struggling with God. We have doubts and uncertainty about him, but other times... We struggle with ourselves. We say, I I think I can believe God is God, but my problem is with me. My faith is weak. Maybe I don't have faith at all. And this was at the heart of Abraham's struggle. He was looking at himself. He said, God, it's great. You promised to restore your blessing lost in Eden. This is the blessing. To be fruitful and multiply, to have kings, to rule over the earth. He said, that's an amazing promise. It sounds great. And you are God Almighty who made everything. But have you noticed? We are old. (laughs) We were old when you called us and all this began. And now we are older. 
We are weak. We are foolish. We tried to help your plan along and things just got worse. And now I'm 99 and Sarah is not far behind me. The problem isn't with you, God, it's with us. We are defective. We are weak. We are not who you want us to be, who you need us to be, who you ask us to be. This is Abraham having imposter syndrome to the most high degree. I am not who you think I am. I'm not who you're saying I am, God. And how does God assure him about himself and about his wife? Do you see this? He renames them. Verse 5 and verse 15. He says in verse 5, your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. Abram means exalted father. It probably points to Abram's father, Terah. Abraham means father of the multitude. That's why the word multitude keeps appearing in the passage. Verse 15, God renamed Sarai. Do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. Both names mean princess. Likely Sarai um, is pointing maybe to her family. She is from princesses. Sarah means princess of the multitudes. And note how God renames them. Before their lives show any evidence, any measurable, real, concrete proof that they are really an Abraham or a Sarah. They look at themselves and say, I'm 99, and Sarah's 90 or something. She's 10 years behind him. And they say, this is a laughing matter that you're calling me Abraham and Sarah. I'm no Abraham. Multitudes, I only have one son. Sarah, I have no children. How can I be a princess of multitudes? Princess of kings. And one commentator says, imagine all the smirks that were happening when Abraham came back and said, hey guys, I got a new name. (laughs) Oh yeah? Yeah, God gave me a new name. What is it? Abraham, father of the multitudes. And they're like, yeah, that's nice, sure. That's a nice name. (laughs) You got one son. Even Abraham laughs. This discrepancy between who they feel and think they are based on what they can see. And God and, what, and who he says they are is huge. It's an impossible gap. And often this is the place where we struggle with assurance the most in our lives. Our assurance of faith wanes and wavers and doubt and uncertainty creep in because we look at ourselves and we think things like, I say I'm a Christian, but am I really? I fail, I doubt, I sin, I struggle in this way. Maybe I'm not. Maybe it's not working. Maybe this whole thing isn't working because look at me. My friends, this is where Christianity is so freeing and so assuring. God says here to Abraham, I can make you what you are not. I will make you what you can't make yourself. Abraham. And Abraham here has to believe he is Abraham before he really is Abraham. God says, I name you. I give you your identity. All other ways of building our identity, of gaining assurance about ourselves, say this, earn your name, build your identity, and then it's really you. And then you can be assured that you are who you think you are. Christianity says you receive your identity. And you will become who you are. 
We receive our name and identity from God and live in the assurance it is who we really are. God says, you are not who you say you are. You are not who other people say you are. Here is who you are. It's who I say you are. If I say you're Abraham, you are Abraham. If I say you're Sarah, you are Sarah. It might not look like it now. It might not feel like it now. But you will be all your name says that you are. I promise. But maybe you say, but God didn't appear to me and give me a special name. So what about me? Oh, friends, and I'm going to unpack this in a moment. Consider this. He did give you a name. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, let's look at that text from Galatians. For faith, for through faith, you are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. God, if your faith is in Jesus, God calls you his son, his child, his son, his daughter. That is who he says you are. So those are the two reasons. There's one more thing I want to unpack here. God meets Abraham in his need for assurance. He gives him two solid reasons. He says, come back to these and use these reasons again and again, Abraham, when there's doubt, when there's uncertainty. And he's saying that to us who follow in the footsteps of Abraham's faith. When you have doubts about God, doubts about yourself, use the reasons. Take them and use them. Meditate on them. Pray through them. Preach them to yourself. Soak in them in corporate worship and through community and relationships with other people. But God gives Abraham and us something more when the reasons aren't getting through. When despite all that we do, we're trying to do all that, it's not getting through, we feel like there's uncertainty and doubt, there's a chasm, and we can't get a hold of our thoughts. Abraham, God says, I'm giving you something more. Something he's given to us as well. It's a sign. Would you look at verse 11? I'm giving you a sign of the covenant between me and you. What is a sign? A sign is something that points to something else. Kids, can you pull out your bulletins? Show, show somebody next to you, your parents or the adults next to you. What do we have in our bulletin? Open it up. Let me see it. We have signs, right? You've heard me use this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again. If you order a double-double at an in-and-out sign, you go to the sign, it says, this is in-and-out, it says it right here, double-double, animal style. You'll be waiting a long, long time because the sign cannot make you that hamburger. The point of the sign is to show you where the restaurant is. So you go into the restaurant, order the double-double, and enjoy the delightful food. That's how God's signs work. This is here, a sign given to Abraham, the sign of circumcision, and it had to be a family service. 
when we talk about this. This was a very personal sign. What is it? The sign of God's covenant was put on the man's private part, his reproductive organ. Because a child, a seed, an offspring was at the center of the covenant promise. The question of faith for Abraham was, how will a child be born? In the sign, God says, the seed, the offspring, the child of the promise, through whom will I bless the world and kings will come, will not come by you, Abraham, not your power, not your timing, not your wisdom, but by me in my timing, wisdom, and power. In a very personal, very clear way, God gave him a sign of that. It pointed Abraham away from himself into God's promise, God's power, God's way, God's timing, God's faithfulness, God's power to bring life from what looks dead, birth from barrenness, something out of nothing. He said, I want you to have this sign. I want all your descendants to have this sign. So when you look at the sign, and for all those who were Jewish males, they would look at this sign throughout their lives, you'll have something physical, something you'll take with you wherever you go to point to me. And even though Abraham laughed and said, this is unbelievable, we see in verses 23 through 27, he did it. He was circumcised as well as all of his household. Family of Abraham, God is saying, if you have the sign, you have the promise. If you can't make sense of it in your mind and the reasons aren't working, just look, it's there. Just as real as it's there, the promise will come to pass. I am God Almighty and I will be your God. Just to bring it home now, just as Abraham was given a sign to assure him when the reasons just didn't seem to work, so we are given a sign. It's a different sign. It's the sign of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. It's the sign of baptism. Please put up Colossians 2. Here, the Apostle Paul is connecting the sign of circumcision to baptism. And listen to this. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision, not done with hands, but by the putting off of the body of the flesh and the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. You were dead, you were sinful. Now if your faith is in Jesus Christ, this is saying you are forgiven, you are alive. You don't live in the presence of God as you are before his face, walking before him being blameless. You deserve to be cut off from the covenant, cut off from the promises in and of yourself when you look at yourself. But this is saying Jesus was cut off for you, not a part of him, all of him. Treated as if he did not obey the covenant. To take the curse for us so we could have the blessing. You have a name. What is it? It's the same as Jesus' son, daughter of God. You have an inheritance. What is, what is it? It's the same as Jesus's. Resurrection and life everlasting. You have a status. What is it? It is Jesus's, his righteousness. You have a promise. I will be your God and you will be mine. You have assurance. And when you can't grab a hold of it, look at the sign. I'll close with this. I've shared this before. A number of years ago when our kids were still young, we uh, were invited to go down to Mexico to 
Puerto Penasco. And it's on the Gulf of Mexico. So we had to, to get there, we had to drive there. And I'd never driven in Mexico before. This was like a five hour, six hour drive into Mexico, a different country, right? Things work different. Uh, roads and, and all that work different. So I was a little bit nervous. And we were told, it'll be all right. There's a brand new highway that's been built. It'll take you right there. And so we go down and we're trying to find our way. We get on it and say, this is the highway. We go and it's going great. It is a brand new highway. And then all of a sudden, the road disappears. There is dirt. There is construction and dirt on one side. Okay. So we go around. Okay, fine. That was just that one thing. And then this happens again and again and again. And the sun starts to go down. <laughs> and I'm trying to make sense of the map. I'm like, are we headed in the right direction? What if this road leads to a dead end? What will we do? And we had our young kids. Our kids were very young at the time. So we were bumping along in our minivan. And the darker it got, the more worried it got, the more anxious I got. What was I looking for? A sign. And finally, I saw the sign. Puerto Penasco, you know, the Mayan resort or whatever it was called. And I can tell you at that point, all of my fears and anxieties just for, ah. Oh. But we hadn't got there yet. But I knew we would because I saw the sign. Friends, when we need assurance, we're struggling to use the reason that God has given to us. God understands our need for assurance. He's given us reason and he's given us a sign. If you are baptized, you can say to yourself, as Martin Luther said, this is Reformation Sunday, so we can bring up Martin Luther. He used to say, when I'm struggling with assurance, I am baptized. And just as real as your baptism was, the, the waters, the word spoken over you, the promise given to you in your baptism... So real will the fulfillment of those promises be. You can bank on it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that you understand our need for assurance and you meet us in our need. Thank you that you give us great reasons and we struggle sometimes to believe them, although they make so much sense, who you are, who you say we are. But when we struggle even to grab a hold of that, thank you that you've given us a sign that we're yours, that you're our God, and we're your people. And I pray this morning we'd be more bolstered, more encouraged to remember the sign that has been given over many of our lives, the sign of baptism, and to remember our cleansing is real, the gift of the Spirit is real, the promise that you've given us that you will make us like your son Jesus, that we are beloved in him, that you work all things for good, even though we can't understand sometimes your timing, your ways, and your power. Assure us again by the strength of your word and the reminder of your spirit and the sign you have given to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.